Welcome to Saturday Night Hive. We are here to talk about the Dan Levy, Phoebe Bridgers episode of SNL. This is the second one of 2021. And joining us today is not only Hibba, my wonderful co-host, but our first ever guest for the first ever time, Devin Williams. Hello, Devin. Hello. I am thrilled to be here. Yay. Um, so this is an episode that I personally was pretty excited for, mainly because this is a pairing that's very of the time. I feel like there is a bit of an overlap between people who watch Schitt's Creek and people who listen to Phoebe Bridgers. And this was a very of the time pairing. Dan Levy's coming off a very hot Emmy season. Phoebe Bridgers just got nominated for three Grammys. These people are, if not at the peak, climbing towards it of their careers um i want to start off with the cold open which i mean first off very happy it had nothing to do with the president i feel like we are entering a time in snl comedy where like we just don't have to talk about that but it was about the super bowl and i'm curious what did you guys think of the cold open first of all okay so uh, I do share your relief that they're not always talking about the president. Like, uh, Colin Jost made some jabs at Biden during Weekend Update, but it was, like, very low-key and very relaxed. Um, I don't care that much for the Super Bowl. My favorite part of the cold open was just when A.D. Bryant kept having to, like, switch her wigs, and mm-hmm. I thought that was really hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, honestly, like, it was, like, fine, and I was just glad that it wasn't like the latest political scandal. Yeah, I so agree with that. I just gotten so tired of the political sketches in general. And I don't know if this is a hot take. I was very anti Jim Carrey Biden last season. So the fact that they're just kind of scrapping Biden sketches entirely. Mm, We share that sentiment. Yes. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're kind of scrapping them entirely. Big fan. Um, Do I relate to male commentators gabbing about the Super Bowl? Not really. But I also love, I am here for anything A.D. Bryant does. Because she hadn't been around much last season, right? I think she was filming Shrill, so. That's true. I didn't mm-hmm. see her too yeah. much, so I loved seeing her. I think she was on last week's, too. And Beck Bennett. He just, he commits to whatever he does, even if it's cringe. So I was just happy to see him having fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this cold open... Had a bit of a slow start, and I wasn't exactly sure where it was going, but I do think A.D. Bryant landed the plane. And I just have to say, A.D. did so much work in the first 12 minutes of this episode, because right after that cold open, she had to switch, switch her costume real quick for the monologue, where she played a COVID testing uh, personnel, which I thought was funny. And if I'm being honest... I just feel like every season, one host gets to do the let's take a tour of Studio 8H thing. And I guess Daniel called it this week. So great for him. What did you guys think of the monologue? Um, Starting with Hibba. Yeah. Okay. So I love when they do tours. So I enjoyed that part. I was also confused why they cast AD. I mean, she's the perfect like character to play the like uh, coronavirus like distancing with a pool noodle. But they had her like right in the cold open and then also in the monologues. So I was like, wow, they're really trying to do a lot here. Um, I enjoyed I enjoyed it. My favorite thing was um, Eugene Levy in a box. That I thought that was really cute mm-hmm. and funny. And like we all knew he was going to make an appearance. Like there's no way that he wouldn't have. So I think that, um, again, they took something that was expected and kind of like innovated on it. So I was a fan. 
And I also want to double down on Devin's point that I absolutely um, was very against Jim Carrey as Biden. And I felt very strongly about it, um, mostly because he like nominated himself for that character. And so I feel like no one should be able to do that. And it should be more of a meritocracy. So I'm glad that they're me and Candace were really kind of like um, debating like who they would cast as Biden. But it just seems like they haven't picked one yet and they haven't needed to. Um, and that's just like a sign of, I think better times that we're going towards i was gonna say first of all question who played biden pre jim carrey i remember woody harrelson randomly did it but has there been anyone in the cast who's consistently played biden jason sudeikis was kind of the cast member that took that over Mm. but i've been thinking about this because earlier this week i was like what's maya rudolph been up to because in my head, I was like, oh, she's probably going to have to, like, move to New York and, like, pull Kamala Harris every week again. But then I thought about it, and I was like, well, during the Obama administration, Biden wasn't, like, a big deal, you know? Like, he wasn't exactly, like, the biggest newsmaker of the week, so they could kind of lay off the Biden impressions unless they needed it. And I kind of just wonder, my hot theory is that they are still recruiting a Biden on the side, and they're, like, just really trying to, like, find one. And so Lawrence is kind of like foot off the pedal let's talk about the super bowl or something like that which i'll take honestly and i think my biggest qualm though with the monologue and i i will admit i'm hard to please with the monologues i am very rarely impressed with the monologues i'm so tired of covid themed monologues it's like if you had watched it it would have been like covid had just happened the way it, it was like, mm. I don't know. And I and I guess we'll talk about this later, but there was another like very COVID prominent sketch that I actually thought landed pretty well. But I would have loved Dan just kind of like being Dan and like goofy around. I liked Eugene Levy. I thought that was funny. But I, I think that personally, I'm just kind of tired of hearing the hosts feel like they have to like talk about COVID. Mm-hmm, yeah. I kind of think you're hinting on something that I felt throughout the episode i feel like dan this episode played it very safe his range kind of like didn't expand beyond how we think of dan how we think of his character on schitt's creek like if anything i kind of thought he would experiment a little more bring like some more characters or sides of him out honestly in the way that john krasinski kind of did last week but he was a first timer as was john things happen um let's get to the sketches what was like one of your favorite sketches of the night yeah that's a good question so um i actually wanted to pick out the sketch that um dan did with cecily Mm. and like i don't know exactly what it was called but it was like they were oh i think it was called um hot damn hot damn it was called hot damn yep yeah and i wanted to touch on the point that you made about Dan not really going outside of like his normal range of characters and I was confused about that because I thought that he would want to do more and I I'm sure that he like just like as a talented actor has more range but I wonder if they restricted it because he was trying to play it safe or if they restricted it because people expect a certain thing from him right so like Mm. if you are watching SNL and you see this character who you know as David, like that's his most like iconic role that he like wrote, directed, acted in, etc. If you see something that's not that, is it going to land with you? 
and like i think for like us like the og like snl fandom like we want to see him thinking outside of the box but i feel like when you have an episode where like both of the hosts are like young and popular right now like people want to associate them with their role in the in like the tv show that they play on so yeah i was a little bit confused about like the artistic direction of like did they only cast dan in roles that they knew he would ace because people expect that or was he like afraid and trying to do the first timers thing but i mean I just really loved that. Um, well, first of all, Cecily has a beautiful singing voice, which is like verbatim mm-hmm. a quote that Pete Davidson has sh- said on the show before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's like yeah. very true. I thought the tap dancing behind the bar was hilarious because obviously they weren't tap dancing and Keenan called mm-hmm. that out. And I love like when they mm-hmm. do that. Um, but yeah, I don't really like care about the Super Bowl, but I just thought like, of course, they would be two like off Broadway singers, like being bartenders. Um, and I thought it was funny. The other sketch that I that I sort of liked was the COVID one where they like it was like so SNL cringe where they were obviously not being safe and they kept saying things that were less and less safe. And then they put their hands in chili and started eating chili. Like, like very, very cringe. I felt like it combines like the political comedy of SNL with like the cringe heightening. And then um, I love when like Kate McKinnon like stepped out and it was like Dr. Fauci was like doing an ad for like how not to do the Super Bowl. I thought that was really smart. Um, but I agree with Devin a little bit that I'm like, I'm kind of over COVID sketches. Like, I felt like that one landed a little bit better because we still, even like 11 months into the pandemic, we're still trying to figure out like what's safe and what's not safe. Cause like, it seems like nobody really knows, but yeah, I feel like the singing one with Cecily and Dan was like the most lighthearted one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the Super Bowl pod sketch. I mean, I gotta be honest, I'm really over the sketches that they bring every single week that it's like six people gathering in a living room when they shouldn't, and we all know where this is going. Yeah. And I couldn't help but wonder, like, is this like the CDC striking a deal with SNL that they have to make a PSA sketch every episode in order for them to continue shooting in person? (laughs) But I just wanted to say that I really haven't thought about Psy in like three years yo i was gonna say bowen as sai was was something was something bowen is and i don't want to derail us but bowen as grew in the first sketch after the monologue oh will haunt me daily for years to come (laughs) yeah i love that exactly exactly oh but you know what i actually would love to talk about that sketch because I think in terms of live sketches, the Universal Studios tour was my favorite one because I love the Universal Studios tour for all my universities out there. The key <laughs> is to take the tour first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Is that what the fandom is called? Universities? <laughs> so I just made that up. I just made that up. That was improv. Um, But I love that tour so much. And I really appreciated that they took actual footage from the tour. I was like that person who recognized it. Um, I think what's what I what I loved about the sketches first, it was the first Dan Levy, Bowen Yang interaction. And I love them together. I'm I'm a big university. I remember mm. going on that tour in high school and seeing the 
chicken coop that um, oh. Miley Cyrus made in the Hannah Montana movie. Oh my god! And that was a very there was a very pivotal moment for ninth grade me. Um, so big fan of the setting. Um, I also was it Mikey Day. Was it mm-hmm. Mikey Day who was the yeah. announcer? I he has really grown on me over the years. When they first cast him, I was like, great, another. I don't know if you guys remember Mike O'Brien. Yep. Boring mm-hmm. white dude that doesn't bring much to the table. Who looks exactly like Mike Myers. Let's just put that on the table. Yes. So the mics, there's something about the mics. Mm-hmm. I was a skeptic when they first brought him on. He has impressed me so much, especially in the last couple seasons, especially in the um quarantine episodes i i think he's the best so him already off the bat i was like yes only good things can come from mikey day and also i feel like i need to like air this out now uh just so we're not we're not holding anything back here i do not watch Shit's creek which (gasps) um gasp gasp yes i i admittedly don't watch like i'm very bad at watching tv shows um i'm just like one of those girls no i just Mm, don't know how to watch tv Mm -hmm. So I'm going in pretty cold in terms of, like, Dan Levy. Who is he? I see him on Twitter, and I've heard wonderful things. Um, But I really liked his character in that sketch. Again, Bo and his grew. The fact that they dressed him all up, got him that prosthetic nose. Mm. For what? 15 seconds? Oh, yeah. Barely. And not critical plot. I mean, I loved it. It was... Haunting's the word. Haunting is the mm. word. Yeah. Hiba, did you have any thoughts about that Universal Tour thing or another sketch that you really liked? Yeah. Okay. I can't believe I forgot to bring this up when we were talking about my favorite sketches, but um, I really loved the Zillow yes. digital short. <gasps> I love the Zillow. Zillow. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. So well made. I think they were like trying to call out people in their mid 30s, but as someone like in their mid 20s, I was like, wow, this is also, I feel personally attacked Me. by this ad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I want to also give a special shout out to Candace because before the show, we were texting and you were like, I really hope that like Bowen and um dan get to like be a couple and they did make them a couple in the zillow sketch and it was perfect and i also love like my favorite part of the universal sketch was like them interacting with each other um Mm -hmm. they i just feel like they would they just like their energies and their senses of humor would like really vibe well together so i'm glad that snl like gave us what we wanted basically and put those two together Mm um i did want to say that the only other sketch that I wanted to comment on was the lifting our voices sketch. It was the longest sketch of the night at six minutes and 10 seconds. And I felt those six minutes and 10 seconds. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to say that if you rewatch the sketch on YouTube, they were definitely playing Selena Gomez's Who Said in the background, in the opening theme. I'm so serious. Go back, go watch it. Historians take. That is an interesting sketch because Dan Levy comes out. And in that moment, I was like, oh, maybe this is him potentially taking the step to, like, you know, expand his range a little bit. And unfortunately, I felt like he played a version of himself yet again. And I actually thought he did a really good job. It was almost like he was, like, monologuing at Keenan Thompson, but it was, like, it was a good performance. Um, Kyle Mooney was yet was so cringy, yet so accurate, oh, because yes. I have met and gone to school with many white guys like that. So that was a real triggering moment for me. That sketch, and I will say, I am one of the biggest Kyle Mooney, Beck Bennett cringe fans. I love them. I, I love most of the things they do. 
that was one of the the harder Kyle characters to watch. But he really sold it. He really sold it. Did you say it was six minutes? Yeah, it was one of the longer ones. It was six ones. minutes and ten seconds. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I felt every second of it. I had one that I did like um, toward the... Well, first of all, I also will love and support anything Kate McKinnon does. Her iguana house mom... Oh, yeah. ...was such an unexpected turn that mm-hmm. kept me, if only for the, the, the whackness of it, just her part of that sketch... Um, but I also liked keeping the Kate McKinnon train going, um, the wedding with her and Dan Levy. I thought that one was funny. It was a little different. I, I just thought they had such a good banter. I was waiting for Kate McKinnon to have a big moment because she didn't really have that many big moments in last night's episode. Mm, Yeah. You know, I have to say, no Pete Davidson. Uh, I checked the ending hugs and stuff. Pete wasn't there. So I wonder if he was off shooting King of Staten Island 2. Just kidding. That's not getting greenlit. Oh, my God. Um, please do not. No way. <laughs> we don't need it. We don't need it. Um. Also, no Chloe Fineman, no Melissa Villasenor, yeah. no Andrew Dismukes this episode. They were present, but they were not present. You know what I mean? Great point. I did not even notice that. I feel like they could, like, Melissa Villasenor is similar enough to 80s, like, characters sometimes that they could have used her... Like, in the monologue, if they knew mm. they were going to, you know, like, they, they made AD do a lot. I would have loved her in the Hot Damn uh, football song oh, sketch, because she, she is great. also a very, very good singer. And I feel like yep. she would have been a fun person to just be one of the bar patrons who just whipped out some some fun yeah. dancing, singing. Lo- would have yeah. loved to see in her top hat. A lot of mm-hmm. potential there. I'm glad we're recognizing talent here. This is good. This is good for the space. Um, all right. Well, it's time for a weekly segment. Weekend update. So, Hiba, what did you think of Weekend Update? Yes. Yeah, so, Weekend Update, I felt fell a little bit short this week. So, I really did not like the, like, child cancellation people that they had as guests. I felt like that was, like, a little bit... Look, I know that, like, golden comedy is kind of on the edge of, like, cringe humor and like what's accepted but i felt like that was a little bit too much and i just didn't think it was that funny my favorite parts of weekend update though were specifically two one-liners the first one was when colin jost referred to donald trump as a former social media influencer oh yeah really was into that i feel like the media in general should adapt that um stance and title and then my second one was okay so Morgan Wallen, really problematic, was, like, on SNL, like, a few months ago, even though he broke quarantine and, like, me and Candace were, like, this is dumb, like, why are they giving this, like, ridiculous white guy another chance, whatever, but then it came out this week in the news, and when I saw it in the news, I was, like, I hope SNL, like, says something about it because he was, like, caught saying, like, racial slurs, like, in a video or something, and so, um, yeah, they made a joke about it. So I thought that was funny. But I really think, like, I don't know, moments like that reminds me that they're not, like, as radical as I would like them to be. And they still, like, they are an institution and they still exist within the institution of, like, like white, misogynist, capitalist media. And, yeah, like, we can make jokes, but, like, you really shouldn't have had someone like Morgan Wallen on your show when you know how problematic he is. But, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I I always forget that SNL exists within a corporate culture. In fact, one of the biggest corporate media cultures in America, which means that not only is their standard of accountability so overhead, but the deal breakers that I hold are not always the same deal breakers SNL holds. And I, I'll just be honest, when they invited Morgan Wallen back, I was like, that is incredibly unfair. You haven't invited Ashley Simpson back. Where's that? Um, but at the same time, I think all of us, when we saw that he said the N-word, we're like, of course. Yep. Of course this former voice contestant did that. Like, why is that not a deal breaker for you? Like, why? I don't know. It's like, it's kind of the same thing where, like, Jimmy Fallon had Donald yeah. Trump, like, on his show when he was running, like, for office four years ago and we were all like this is not gonna age well and like i also don't know like who they're doing this for right i mean i think you are hitting on something which is that like it almost seems like snl's forgiveness of morgan wallen is as if they owe him something maybe it really Uh just comes down to the fact that uh universal owns not only snl but also the voice and they just want to make sure their voice contestants get albums that is tough (laughs) i didn't realize he was from the voice that's true. Um, no one does. They should really call him out on that just a little more. It, it's a negative trait. Thank you. It's a weakness, actually. I agree. God, I completely agree. I honestly, um, they were previewing the hot damn uh, bar sketch um, in a commercial break. And me and my roommates were like, oh, is this going to be, are they going to go back and like do another take on the Morgan bar sketch? We were oh, really hoping that it would be more than just, because I think that was... I think that was after update. We were looking for more than just one joke during update. And again, maybe it's like he doesn't even deserve the like mm. the time of day to be made fun of again because yeah, he shouldn't even really be relevant in the SNL universe, but I so I'm glad that they at least acknowledged him in update. But it, they did it in a way that didn't even feel satisfying because it was the Colin Jost jab. And they love making Colin Jost look like a racist. That's their yeah. fave little thing. Colin weirdly didn't seem happy about it either. And I was like... No. Mm. I mean, is he ever... No. I guess that's their little thing. But I I don't know. I wish they almost would have made fun of themselves more. I mean, like, shame on us for even, like, giving this guy... Like, that's the kind of joke that I wanted to see them make. But I agree with you, Hibba. I was not a fan of the cancel kids and i wonder how they even where do they come up where does it come from because that was one of the most random left turns of a guest that you could have ever had paired with and i don't know if if either of you had seen the video that was referenced with the second guest the twins Mm -hmm. i had seen the phil collins video they referenced big 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 phil fan big youtubers reacting to things fan Thought it was a, a very hot take, especially months after it came out. Like, I, as someone who had seen the video they were referencing, it felt like it just went on to the point where they were devolving over the ABCs. It was, mm. it was a little tough to follow. But I went on afterward. They went on their social media because they only have, like, 30,000 followers. Like, they are such a small little, like, niche group to, like, yeah. parody and they were freaking out. They're like, this is the best thing ever. So I thought that was yeah. very cute that they randomly like spotlit these like two dudes just having fun on YouTube. It just felt that paired with the cancel culture kids just was it was a very random set of guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the twin twins, the new trend, that little guest spot uh, definitely had the vibe of oldest person in the office just finds out about trend five months later. 
and refuses to drop it. I hate going back to the Morgan Wallen thing, but I do agree at the end of the day that it's very interesting to see what SNL is willing to make fun of itself for and what it is willing to hide. I think last week, I really thought there was an opportunity for them to make some type of Army Hammer joke on Weekend Update. Mm. And I had this theory that is because someone is friends with him and doesn't want to cut that friendship. Um, They did mention it very briefly in the Super Bowl cold open this week, but it's like Army Hammer got dropped from his agency on Friday. You definitely could have said something Colin Jost, who probably is his friend. Oh, yeah. They have got to walk in the same little circles. Do I just assume that white dudes that look the same are friends? Sure. You're not wrong. I mean, that's what society is predicated on. And like, yeah, it's like not that far of a jump. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Well, now we are going to go to a segment that I'm so glad Devin is here for. Devin, you are a Phoebe Bridgers fan. Please tell us, what did you think of her performance? And what do you think we should know as two people who low-key have never listened to Phoebe Bridgers ever before? Wow. Okay. First of all, it is an honor to be the person that gets to that gets to talk on this topic because I have I have a lot to say and I'm not going to lie, I feel a bit of pressure to get it right because there's a lot riding on this, aka the reputation of sweet Phoebe Bridgers. Totes. Um, so background information, Phoebe has, I, I think she, I mean, she's really blown up this year with her, her album Punisher and her Grammy nominations. Like this has been her year. She's, I feel like exponentially blowing up with each month. Landing SNL is absolutely the biggest thing that has happened in her career, like for sure. Um, I've been a fan of her for the past, I'd say like two or three years. Her first album, Stranger in the Alps, which I think came out in 2018. Um, I actually like it more than her last album. Um, But I think she's, her vibe, as I'm sure you guys could tell from her stage setup and costumes, she, like, doesn't take herself very seriously, but she's also, like, emo girl, like, sad, sad um, skeleton costumes that she got from Party City. Can I ask about that real quick? What is the history with her and the skeleton one? She, I think, like, bought it as a joke, truly from, like, a costume store. And this was back when her band was, like, her and then her drummer, Marshall, who they've been, like, best friends, dated for a while. Some of the songs on the album were inspired by that. I know you, I know you love the behind-the-scenes relationship angle. Very Fleetwood Mac. Very. Love it. That is like some really good tea, honestly. Was he there at SNL? Yes. Yeah, he was. <gasps> he was drumming. The drummer was drumming. Um, and then her guitarist, like it was like a, a pod of them. And then they just had these costumes they would wear. Like she was honestly doing probably like open mics, small gigs, like opening gigs, like like not even like two years ago. Like she like this. So mm. she would wear her little skeleton outfit. Um, she's always been very into ghosts. That was her thing for her first album. And then for her for her last album, Punisher, she like went into the desert and took all these really beautiful photos that inspired her her album cover, which was her just standing in a desert. She was wearing this like really pretty dress and she was like, wow, I feel like I'm like, t- like this is like too pretty. Like I shouldn't be just wearing this dress. So she went back and recreated it wearing her her skeleton outfit. And all her late night uh, appearances in COVID, like promoting her album, have been like her in her. She lives in a studio apartment in L.A. So she is living her humble little life. Um, she wears her little skeleton outfit pretty much constantly or PJs. She just like 
so effortlessly does not give a shit about what people think of her. And it is mm. oh so charming. Big sell. Um, so that's some background. If there's any questions, happy to Thank answer. You. I've been watching a lot of her interviews in the past week just because I'm so, I'm so proud of her. Um, yeah. and with her performances last night, first of all, my qualm and Candace as someone that produces a podcast, works at NPR where sound is above all, I yeah. have constant qualms with the sound mixing of SNL music of the music guests for SNL they are never god they're never good Dua Lipa who has the strongest voice I felt like her like she didn't really sound good in her performances I just feel like typically I never really hear like the levels aren't there I certainly don't know the terminology here she sure. I, I felt like in her first song Kyoto which is the Grammy nominated um the Grammy nominated song I, like, couldn't really understand her. I felt like I couldn't really hear her. And I think her voice is very strong and, like, ethereal and carries itself, like, pretty much every recording I hear. So I was a little disappointed by the quality of her first song. Um, and also I could tell she was a little nervous, um, like everyone, I suppose, on that stage. But well, the thing that came through, minus the skeleton costumes, was that she was so happy she was she had a smile on her face the entire performance which was very sweet to see as a huge fan but also kind of like off-putting because her whole brand is being sad and she's singing a very like the song sounds happy but it's like a deeply sad song about like her messed up relationship with her dad so to see her smiling and singing about it was was kind of trippy but in a very like that's my girl proud way um so the, I'll, I'll pause there that's my spiel on background first song but as new listeners would love to hear. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that stuff about the audio quality. I agree with you. I think like, I don't know, something about um, the way SNL does it, it doesn't always like land well. But I thought that was like part of her brands. Like I thought her songs were supposed to be unintelligible because I've like never listened to her before. So it's good to like know that that was not on purpose. I think to be honest, like I thought she was like, fine and like charming and I got like I got the like sad girl brands it came through really clearly to me the only thing that I had a problem with was the like fake guitar smashing at the mm. end let's talk about that I, I was just like why are you and like her like screaming into the microphone but like not really screaming like I was just like this is chaotic and yeah I wasn't into yeah, it yeah Devin what's your like ESPN expert <laughs> analysis of the fact that Phoebe Bridgers did not break her guitar whatsoever so, so many layers of thoughts to this. Um, first of all, back to your point, Hibba. I if I was an original, like, if this was my first time hearing her, I would have thought the exact same thing. Like, oh, sad girl, muffled singing, small mouth singing, you don't really know what she's saying. But I think the thing that makes, like, Phoebe Bridgers, like, like what fans love about her the most is that she, her lyrics are so, so clever, so smart, so... Like, th like, that's the thing about her songs that make them st stand out. I feel like musically, I mean, musically, she's very talented. She also has a very pretty voice, but her lyrics are really cool. And so it was a bummer that you couldn't even really hear her lyrics last night. So I think that yeah. was kind of a shame. Um, so I feel like that performance, again, coming in as a loyal fan, rooting for her, was very happy for her, happy to see her, happy. If I had not seen her, would that performance have converted me into a fan? No. 
And I agree with you, Hibba, on the, the, the guitar smashing. Okay, so let me walk you through me experiencing this live. First of all, the song, mm-hmm. I Know the End, it's about the apocalypse. It's a closer to her album. Ironically, it was written, like, a couple years ago. It's actually a breakup song about her and her drummer, TTT, but perfectly landed as, like, a COVID apocalypse song. Like, the, like it's, it's all about just, like, the end mm-hmm. of the world. Um, and the song ends with her literally screaming. Like, the scream that she does on stage is how she does she, But she does it so much louder, obviously. That's really important context. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's, it's a part of the song. And it's this very, like, cathartic, like, primal, like, scream. Um, actually, for her tiny desk, it was cool. They did that song. And they had all these clips of people just screaming along to it that they layered in. Oh, so wow. it was really cool. But you kind of needed the context. Her doing it mm-hmm. on a very, like, prim and proper SNL stage, it felt weird. And I agree. I wish she had almost been closer to the mic. I feel like, and I get why you're not going to scream into a mic, but I feel like her stepping away, it almost felt it, made it feel like it was just kind of like a, I'm just screaming to scream. <laughs> like, it didn't yeah. really have a purpose. Yeah. But I that is one of my favorite songs of hers. And I thought she sounded a lot more confident and clearer in the second performance that night. Also, I loved her skeleton pearl dress. I thought it was so clever and cute because it was still her skelly vibe, but classy. And then the guitar mm-hmm. smash. So watching it live, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, what is happening? Because I, up until now, I thought this had been a very like prim and cute, like playing it safe performance. Very like I'm trying to appeal to a wide audience here. So when she just went rogue with the guitar, I was like, girl, respect. People are going to be questioning this. Because if you're going to commit, I want to see a broken guitar. I don't mm-hmm. want to see a guitar mm-hmm. that's... And I, I, again, super fan knowledge here. That glitter black guitar is like one of her... Like, she plays it all the time. Like, that's her guitar that she uses. So I was like, there's no way Homegirl is destroying her guitar... And as you could see, it looked like like it wasn't actually destroyed. The amp, on the yeah. other hand, there were some sparks. There were some sparks. There's a, which I, I liked. I love a good FX moment. I do. I do. But it left me wondering what her what was your goal, Phoebe, to just look mad? Correct. To destroy property? To say yeah. F the man, F S N L. I I don't know. I don't know what the takeaway was. But was I as a viewer and fan impressed? Or enthralled captivated yes um were people so freaking confused on twitter afterward yes so many old dudes who were like what's this random young young girl doing she hasn't earned her right to to mess up a guitar on stage and of course we could get into the like gender implications of people just being mad about her doing that but also I get I get why it was confusing because it was confusing. I think my biggest problem was, like you said, the lack of commitment to actually destroying the guitar, right? Like if you're going to go for it, like that's not something that you can like half do. And so I was just confused. Like there are other ways to show your disgruntledness. Like it, it's exactly the same thing about how you said like she screamed, but she like stepped away from the microphone. Like, I don't know. The, there was like some dissonance and like I feel like. SNL is all about committing to the character that you're playing. And so 
when mm. you can see people struggling with committing to whatever it is like that for me feels like why is this even mm-hmm. happening that's a really good insight hibba all right so now we are coming to the end of the show hibba what is your rating of this episode of snl so i'm gonna rate this episode a seven out of ten not smashed guitars <gasps> so, <laughs> so i am disappointed to say that john krasinski impressed me more as a host than dan levy like i think they both did a great job but i was just like more into john krasinski being able to step outside of his comfort zone and like play a bunch of range of characters again like i said earlier i'm not sure if that was like dan levy's choice or if he played into what people expected of him so it's not like entirely on him obviously um but overall i thought it was a solid episode like seven is not a terrible rating it's like pretty good so yeah thank you for that hibba devin what is your rating for this episode so that is too funny hibba my unit of measure was phoebe bridger's guitar smashes um so but i had a backup unit of measure well my backup backup was Kyle Mooney Ponytail, but my other one was Football Songs from Hot Damn. Oh, good. So my rating was 8 out of 10 Football Songs. And yeah, obviously I'm acknowledging my bias as a big lover of Phoebe Bridgers. But that aside, I feel like the episode had me laughing pretty much the whole night. But... Um, I agree with you, Heba. Thinking about, like, the performance of the host, like, factoring in, I feel like he did a good job, but you're right. He kind of was the same character in every sketch. Enjoyable, yes, but but as a, like, stretching your talent, showing me something new, I didn't necessarily get that. And I agree that John Krasinski, he, he flexed, he stretched in some places that maybe he shouldn't have, a la sex with ratatouille or ratatouille Mm -hmm. guiding sex but hey it was bold it was different um but with that being said as someone who's been craving just a good consistent lol olol the whole time last night did it for me so (laughs) eight out of ten i love that okay so for me i'm gonna rate this episode seven out of ten eugene levy's in a clear box um i Truly walked out of this episode loving Dan Levy as much as I love him. Learned a lot about Phoebe Bridgers thanks to Miss Devon. So it was a good time. And I do think at the end of the day, Dan Levy was kind of a lock for hosts they should bring on this year. And Phoebe Bridgers was definitely a lock for musical guests they should bring this year. So thank you, Lauren, for listening to my little, little lizard brain. So that is how we felt about this week's episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Regina King hosted episode, which I feel like is going to be really, really good. And we will be excited to talk about it too. Devin and Hibba, thank you so much for gabbing with me about Dan Levy and Phoebe Bridgers. Yes, thank you for having me. It was such a fun time. Yay. All right. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.